Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're discussing factors affecting IVF success among underrepresented minorities. Leading us in our discussion is Dr. Jereen Morris. Dr. Morris is a clinical fellow at Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Morris, welcome to ASRM Today. Hi, how are you, Jeffrey? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being able to be here. As this is your first time on ASRM today, and as it's come a bit of a tradition for us here, uh, could you please tell our audience a little bit about what sparked your interest in being in reproductive medicine? Yes, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm Jerry Morris. I'm a third-year clinical fellow at the University of California in San Francisco. Uh, My interest in uh, becoming a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist uh, actually took me by surprise. I was always interested in women's health, and I tell everyone I wanted to be an OBGYN before I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, For me, it was the disparities that I saw within obstetrics, and particularly that drove me to wanting to enter that um, profession. It was my experience actually as a second year resident at Emory University where I found uh, not only the physiology and endocrinology to be incredibly fascinating, but some of the same disparities that I saw within obstetrics, I also saw within infertility. And these are disparities that I, I don't think at that time I saw as many individuals talking about or sort of paying recognition to. So it was not only my interest in the physiology Physiology and enjoying the field of reproductive medicine, as well as a lot of the disparities that I saw in infertility in particular that drove me to going into REI. At this past year's ASRM 2021 Annual Congress in Baltimore, you were a part of a panel uh, for an interactive session. And the title of this session was, Where Are the Brown Eggs? Increasing Access to and Utilization of Third-Party Reproduction, an area which represents a major part of your, your interests and research. I wanted to ask then, what what are some of the factors uh, that you and and, and others have discovered that that are causing these disparities you were were just alluding to uh, previously in access and utilization of of IVF in, in underrepresented minority populations? Wow, Jeffrey, that's a huge question. Uh, So I feel like the factors of utilization or that I should say hinder utilization among um, communities of color are widespread. Uh, These have not only just to do with access, but they're also linked to just overall awareness of infertility within different communities. I think that when we add on the additional component of utilizing third-party reproduction, that's a more taboo and often stigmatized aspect of fertility treatment that patients are often reticent to use in general. So among communities of color, you can imagine there are particular concerns about using third-party reproduction. So things that we covered in the interactive session were not only grappling with the decision to either undergo utilization of an oocyte donor or a gestational carrier to build one's family, but then how to identify individuals who look like you uh, to serve in that capacity. And then finally, third-party reproduction is incredibly expensive. And so we know that communities of color do struggle with uh, being able to afford a lot of the services uh, that are provided in infertility uh, with third-party reproduction definitely not being an exception to that. You mentioned economic factors, but I'm also curious about 
um, I was I was reading through some of your materials. Uh, you talk about psychosocial factors in in, in your research. What, what how how do how do those play a, a factor? Could you sort of define those uh, for the audience? Absolutely. So when we think about the decision in particular to utilize their reproduction, first off, we have to understand that um, the couple or dyad has to understand that this is an option. And oftentimes that's limited within different communities. So the awareness to know that, you know, utilizing an oocyte donor when uh, one's autologous oocytes are no longer an option is an option for that community. So the awareness is, is for me huge. Um, secondly, when I think about uh, communities of color, I think that a lot of patients are often um, not recommended or not referred to see uh, uh, someone within it, the infertility space to be evaluated early enough. These decisions are, or discussions are not had, I feel like, with women of color earlier on. And I think that either physician bias or bias on behalf of the actual patient to even consider third-party reproduction is definitely a major hindrance. Other factors are uh, the stigma that's associated with third-party reproduction. So um, third-party reproduction is not something that's ever been glorified uh, for communities of color. It's something that's often seen as the sort of rich white person's um, access fertility treatment to family build. When you have that stigma attached to it, then you can see the hesitation or um, the lack of acceptance that you may have within different communities who aren't traditionally seen or traditionally um, thought of to use third-party reproduction to expand their families. So those are some of the psychosocial factors, I think, that sort of play a role in terms of who uses or doesn't use uh, either oocyte donation or gestational carriers. I'm speaking today with Dr. Jereen Morris. Dr. Morris is a clinical fellow at Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at the University of California, San Francisco. And we are talking about IVF success among underrepresented minorities, communities. Dr. Morris, I'm curious, has your research opened any new avenues for how you view the world? I, you know, I spent many years doing research and, and, and I always found that I would come across, you know, sometimes almost revelatory viewpoints about how things work, you know, and, and, and I'm sure we have researchers in the audience uh, who would be curious to hear if you've had any of these notable uh, aha moments. That's a great question. I think the more engaged that I become in disparities research and infertility, the more I realize they're twofold. There are more I realize either a a lot of these disparities are not new. So a lot of disparities that we're speaking about so candidly now, and it's almost like aha and novel, these are not things that are new. These are things that we've reported and seen time and time again. I mean, if you look at the work by Sefer et al., which I love referencing the papers from Yale that utilize the SARC force database, a lot of the same statistics have been reported since 2004. So in a lot of respects, we're not seeing new trends, if you will. And that's not only frustrating, but that also fuels my interest in continuing this work because clearly there's still a need. Secondly, as we continue to expand the services that you have within the realm of infertility, so when I think about not just third-party reproduction, which is something that we've used for some time, but I think about uh, genetic testing, I think about 
planned oocyte cryopreservation. I think about things that are becoming a lot more mainstream over the last five years. My big dilemma is how can we make sure that underrepresented communities have access to these resources? It, as the field of infertility or IVF, if you will, continues to take off, how do communities that are traditionally left behind gain access to something that it looks like is widely available for different communities who have, of course, access and knowledge about them. So that was a long answer, but I feel like my aha moment is, you know, A, we're still dealing with a lot of the same issues over the last 15, 20 years that we have been, but B, as new technologies sort of creep up into this field, I feel like the disparities are only going to widen instead of narrow, and that's particularly problematic. Are there some indications of that uh, currently? I mean, I know what you just stated too, that you said it's just, it's, we're kind of seeing the same stuff uh, that's always that's been there. It. Exactly. I think that yeah. that is, is basically telling in terms of where we're at now and what could possibly occur in the future. If we don't continue to pay attention to this, continue to devote resources to uh, making sure disparities are always at the forefront of the conversation, particularly when it comes to accessing a lot of these technologies. Um, I have no doubt that they'll continue as they already have. It's now thankfully 2022, or maybe not thankfully. I don't know. We, we're working our way through it early here. But uh, I, I want to I have one more question for you. I just want to ask, is, uh, you know, what's on the horizon uh, uh, this year for you? Is, is, there, is there anything uh, exciting uh, in development or coming up that, that you'd like our, our listeners to know? As the current chair of the Health Disparity Special Interest Group, we have some uh, exciting things on the horizon. Uh, we're currently planning for, obviously, the ASRM in 2022. We want to make sure we expand our, our membership. My guest today has been Dr. Jureen Morris, uh, and, and it's been an absolute delight. Thank you again so much for, for being on ASRM today. Thank you for having me. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Rate us. You can do it through all kinds of podcatchers, Apple, Google, however you get your media done these days. Also, don't be afraid to email us, ASRM at ASRM.org, if you have any questions. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.